Hi there, nerdlings. This is Ash. And this is Matt. And you're listening to Crime Time Nerds, a sister podcast. And now, nerdlings, let's grab our flashlights and join us as we venture down into the dark world of true crime together. I would also like to add a disclaimer to today's episode. I would like to apologize, nerdlings. I maybe have screwed us all because I promised Ash she could do this episode probably like six (laughs) months ago. And I really didn't think like it was kind of one of those like, oh, yeah, we could do that sometime. And I didn't really think she was going to cash in her chips (laughs) soon, but she did. So I am now obligated to let her do this episode because I told her she could and she got to pick. So, you know, she's going to go into some some serious detail about a uh, piece of very important the very gruesome and sometimes gnarly piece of forensic research. So if you're squeamish, this may not be the episode for you. Unfortunately, while I am squeamish, I don't get to have this luxury. So (laughs) I'm in it for the long haul, friends. (laughs) Hey. Thanks, Ash. Very cool. Very needed. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) All right, nerds, let's get into it. Today we are taking you on a little adventure that may be a little smelly, a little gruesome, and you will definitely be getting your hands dirty. Any guesses? I hear crickets. I hear crickets. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, no, no, you don't. No one wants to guess this, Ash. (laughs) Nobody. Nobody asked for this, just you. (laughs) You're so happy. I'm so happy. (laughs) <laughs> well, nerdlings, oh. pack those lunches and bring your nose plugs oh. because we are headed God. to the University of Tennessee. Boom! <laughs> <laughs> Why do you ask? Well, we are going to a specific section of the university, the Anthropology Research Facility. Seeing how Nat and I cover a lot of cases that are unsolved Jane and John Doe's, we decided... Or I decided. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, this is all you, kiddo. (laughs) It would be a good tip of the hat to tell the stories of the people who donate their bodies to science. Their families knew what happened to them. In fact, it was their families and their choice. But to the people studying them, they are kind of unknown in a sense. These scientists or students didn't know these folks in their former life, just their decaying ones. So why would someone want to donate their body to a body farm? Well, believe it or not, medical schools usually have requirements for their bodies. They will usually reject a body that has undergone an autopsy, which is understandable seeing as the students are learning how to do these autopsies themselves or need to see how organs were naturally set in place in their body before being moved around. Another thing to keep in mind is that medical schools dissect bodies, and you can only dissect a body once. Body farms, however, can keep using information from the bodies for a long time. If it weren't for the amazing people who donate their bodies to science, we wouldn't know how many days a body has been decaying or when flies start laying eggs in a decomposing body. That's disgusting. <laughs> but it, That's just But disgusting. it's so important, so important. Agreed, but oh, I don't like it. <laughs> These may seem grotesque, but they are so extremely important. 
We love hearing anything true crime, even the bits that are hard to hear while eating your breakfast, which happened to be exactly what I was doing when I was writing the script. So if I can do it, I have complete faith in you all. Nope. (laughs) I have no faith in me on this one. Mm -mm. (laughs) So back to the University of Tennessee, where a body farm... Yes, you heard that right. A body farm lies on three acres of wooded area. There happens to be only a sprinkling of body farms across the United States, upwards of six to be exact. The first body farm was established in 1970 when forensic anthropologist William Bass discovered something quite unusual in his work at the medical examiner's office. And that happened to be maggots. No. These little... (laughs) These little buggers are a lot more helpful than you would think. They can help determine the time of death on a freshly decomposing body, which is huge. This was a big breakthrough in the forensic anthropologist world because up until this time, pigs were actually the backbone in studying decomposition. At the body farms, scientists will position bodies in differing places such as direct sun, partial sun, shade, cars, and even some instances in cages to protect them from creatures. Letting the bodies decay in nature gives the scientists a good grasp on the process of, say, a vulture eating the body or even the smallest of creatures such as rats eating on the bones. It helps investigators rule certain things out, like if there was a gnaw bite in the bone. Then they can determine if this is an animal bite or something more sinister in murder. This also helps investigators with those tiny creatures we can't see with the naked eye, microorganisms. These microbes help tremendously with time of death. Investigators can then focus on missing person cases that have been filed within that time frame. Donnie Stedden, the director of the Forensic Anthropology Center, said it best, quote, We're in an age of technology where the microbes can help provide new answers about time of death, but also whether a body was moved and medical conditions inside the body that can help identify a person, unquote. It's not an easy task to identify the exact time of death of a person. In modern science, and largely in part due to the use of body farms, scientists are now able to utilize three benchmarks on how to determine the exact time a person has passed away. The benchmarks go as such. Algor mortis, which is your body temperature, Rigor mortis, which is the stiffness that permeates throughout your body after a few hours of being deceased. And lastly, liver mortis, which is the settling of your blood after death. It's important to have a deep understanding of these three benchmarks as they are fleeting and do not stay forever in a deceased body. Eventually, they will dissipate, making determination of death more complicated. As the human body begins to decay, forensic anthropologists and coroners begin to look at the five stages of decomposition to determine more information about a person's death. They are looking for how fresh a person looks, do they look relatively alive, and are displaying little evidence of decomposition. There is the bloat, which is when a body will begin to fill with gases and start moving into the early stages of decomposition. There's the next stage, which is active decay. This is when your soft tissue begins to degrade and break apart. And then they begin to look at the evidence of advanced decay, which is when your body has been decomposing for a length of time and is in a transition between soft tissue decay and skeletal remains. And lastly, there is dry skeletal remains. Each stage of decomposition begins to tell a story. Experts look to see signs of maggots, 
which as most of you know is the worm-like larvae of blowflies. This allows scientists to understand how long a body may be out in the elements based on the amount of wriggling larvae on the decaying skin. With the arrival of maggots, scientists can begin to understand just how far into the decomposition process a body may be if it is out in warm elements or on a hot day. While it helps to determine some timeline of death based on the life stages of the larvae, it isn't a perfect science despite what television and media would depict. If a body is placed in a cool room like a refrigeration room or unit, it can cause a delay in the larval stages of maggots, which in turn can impact the determination of an exact time of death. It's important to understand that weather and temperature can greatly affect the body's natural decaying process, which in turn can lead to incorrect timelines of a body's time of death. If you need another reason as to why body farms are so important and fascinating, here is another slice of knowledge for your plate. Body farms help law enforcement as well and have gone hand-in-hand in in helping with mock exhumations so they can get first-hand experience in understanding how to collect forensic evidence. This is absolutely amazing. I know if you're a true crime nerd, you're with the rest of us in how law enforcement handled cases in the early days because lack of education. Well, you can thank science and body farms for helping educate law enforcement. Another extremely helpful piece is that the bones at the body farm get stored and saved for future reference. In fact, back in 2008, an anthropology professor, Daniel Westcott from Texas State, happened to notice the thigh bones of a decapitated body having been really thin compared to the average thigh bones, and he wasn't sure why. In comes the body farm in Tennessee, with samples from bones they had before. Daniel Westcott was able to determine that the victim had spent time in a wheelchair. This helpful tip helped solve the case and give the victim back their name. How stinking cool. All right, I'll give you that. That's pretty cool. It's still super gross. (laughs) I don't do bugs at all or worms. Worms especially. Like, ah, ugh, larva, ugh, God, all of that is gross. But I do think it's super important for for helping to solve crimes, understanding how decomposition of a body works. Just, I mean, it's it's really helped to solve so many cases. It gives closure to so many families. The folks who do this are amazing people who are willing to to donate their bodies. Which is my next question, Ash? Are you going to donate your body to this? <laughs> um, I mean, it is extremely cool. I feel like. I feel like I would be okay with donating my body to a body farm. I feel like I could totally see you doing this with without a question. I'm like, if one of us is going to do it, it's you. Would I rather just rot in the ground? Right. Or, or would you rather help somebody? be cremated? Or would I rather, like, use my body to further science and to, like, help? Yeah. Yeah, I could totally see you donating. I... Don't want to only because I'm concerned about the rat situation. See, I love rats. I think they're adorable. Ugh, so I wouldn't no. mind. Like, have some salt from my bones. Like, it's totally cool. You Ugh, can throw that's right so at- gross. <laughs> that is so gross. I'm like freaking out. Like, that makes me like, oh, it makes my skin crawl. But how but- cool are the body farms? That's so. There's so many different aspects that help yeah. so many different things. And like, I just find it so fascinating. Yeah, because they like research times of death. They're researching how, like, what extreme situations bodies can go through. Like, they even do stuff like, like the different methods that somebody could be killed in. 
mm-hmm. for alibis, like if you're a criminal, to know if somebody had enough time to like actually commit the crime or not, which is pretty cool uh, or pretty interesting. I think that's really helpful. Yep. I still think this is super gross. But like, but, just imagine if this wasn't a thing. Right. Oh, God. We wouldn't have an understanding of like rigor mortis and liver mortis. Like that. those are big things, especially if you find a body. Yeah, absolutely. Like, before it decomposes, you can kind of like, if someone was like, they died here. Like I didn't move their body. Right. And they're like, hmm, well. This says differently. With liver mortis or like with rigor mortis, we can definitely tell you did move that body. So there's like, you're lying about something. Right. So, no, it's true. It's <clears throat> what they do is really, really important work. I will say too, um, you know, it's funny. I took a forensic class. You'll appreciate this, Ash. So I took a forensic class in high school, and this is a long time ago, like twenty years ago. CSI was like a brand new thing. Everyone was super, super into it, and uh, we we actually did like this kind of a similar small scale version of a, a little body farm, but in the backyard of the school, they uh, had us take chicken bones. And we each like buried our chicken bones, like three different chicken bones in three different situations. Like I can't remember what they had us do specifically to each one, but they had us do different things to each one to see how each one would decompose. And after like three weeks, we dug them up to see the the state of it. It it was disgusting what we found and it smelled so (laughs) bad. But with that said, it was cool to understand like, the whole process of decomposition and and how that is plays a factor into trying to help solve crimes and such. Yeah, definitely. And it's it's really funny because we are almost always on the same page about everything. This is the one thing that I'm like, nope. <laughs> this is yeah, nope. this is the one thing. You're like, no, thank you. <laughs> I'm like, oh man, this is the it's cause I'm so squeamish. Like stuff like this grosses me out. I really hate bugs. Like really hate bugs and snakes, and rats, and this is, like, all of my fears in one. That I'm like, oh, no, no. See, and I have a super overactive imagination, so my brain automatically pictures everything. Yeah. Well, see, I'm, like, totally fine with most bugs, but I'm fine with snakes, I'm fine with rats, I'm fine with, like, all of that jazz. Yeah. But the only thing I cannot stand is spiders. Really? See, those That's are the, the ones one. that I don't mind. I mean, worms are totally fine. Ugh, like no. No, <laughs> they help no. compost. Like. They have a great like, don't get me wrong. All of these creatures have a purpose and I totally support their purpose in, in, in life and basically to keep the world going. I just find them gross. <laughs> <laughs> but that's because I'm super squeamish. Yeah, this is the one time I think we've actually not a, or we have agreed that they are important, but disagreed yeah. in our liking of them. Here you were probably like, oh, Ash is writing a script. It's going to be something cute like cadaver dogs. And then I just send you. <laughs> I, I was kind of hoping you were going to pick the cadaver dogs. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> so next time I know you, you've done your, your other top pick. So I'm like, all right, next time it's cadaver dogs. Mm-hmm. I know what I'm in for. <laughs> Body farms, check. Already covered. Off the uh, list. <laughs> I All right, Dylan Ash, or Ash Dylan. <laughs> you got your body farms. Yep. <laughs> no, they are cool. And, you know, in the en- end of the day, they do help solve so many crimes. And we wouldn't have any idea of who many Jane and John Doe's were, if not for them. So we thank all of the forensic anthropologists who do this day in and day out. It is not an easy job. Mad respect. This is a hard one. But um, yeah, so 
With that, nerdlings, we conclude this chapter of Crime Time Nerds. And if you liked this episode or any of our others, feel free to leave us a review on iTunes or your preferred podcast subscriber. You can also hit us up on our Instagram at Crime Time Nerds or check out our case notes at CrimeTimeNerds.com, where we post references and photos of all of our cases. We also have a Twitter account, which is at CrimeTimeNerds, and an email you can reach us at, which is CrimeTimeNerds at gmail.com. Until next time, you crime-loving nerds. <laughs>